0: Today's sermon is entitled, When Blood Cries Out, a sermon on justice in an unjust world. Seven minutes. Seven minutes is a long time or a short time, depending on how you look at it. Seven minutes is 420 seconds. Seven minutes is a little over one-tenth of an hour. Seven minutes with a loved one is not long enough. Seven minutes with an enemy is too much time. Seven minutes reading a book doesn't give you much context or story. Seven minutes watching a film can cover a lot of plot ground. Seven minutes of running can leave you out of breath, while seven minutes of sleep is hardly of any benefit. Seven minutes of holding my breath underwater is a terrifying concept for me. Seven minutes of no oxygen to the brain and lungs is fatal. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is emotionally charged. I could have made the choice to wait a bit to preach this message, but re- waiting is a privilege that many don't have. As I've talked to many of my black friends this week, my heart is truly broken. The fear they feel is real, and I believe them. I don't have the fear that my life doesn't matter. I don't have the fear that I will be shot and killed because of the color of my skin. I don't worry that someone in a park will call the cops and tell lies about me just because I'm black. I don't struggle with feeling my voice is never heard or that my opinion is never considered. My friends are hurting. And when people were in pain, Jesus didn't make them wait. Seven minutes. This past Monday, seven minutes is how long Derek Chauvin had his knee in the neck of George Floyd. There has been a surge of public outcry against this brutal murder caught on tape, and it's hard to watch. The images I saw in the viral video flooded me with anger, dismay, pain, disgust, nausea, and an overall feeling of helplessness. George Floyd lays face down, handcuffed with three officers on top of him. A fourth officer holds back concerned citizens. He is not resisting, yet two officers are holding his body down, while a third, Derek Chauvin, has his knee pressed down hard into his neck. Floyd's nose starts to bleed as his face is pushed repeatedly into the hard, rugged pavement. His pleas and cries are ignored by the officers. He begs for help and relief. Please, I can't breathe. My stomach hurts, my neck hurts, everything hurts. They're going to kill me. It is all ignored by the four officers. I found myself asking, wait, aren't these cops supposed to be the good guys? I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt, but as I continued to watch, their words, body language, and actions left no reasonable explanation for their behavior. Answers are hard to come by, so I continue to ask questions. Were these officers' actions toward George Floyd motivated by racism, insult to pride, hunger for power, something else, or perhaps a mixture of all of it? If a man is in medical distress, why would public servants hold him down and kneel on his neck? Does current Minneapolis Police Department policy allow for the methods the officers used on George Floyd? If so, why don't they change their motto? Will the good guys on the Minneapolis Police Department have the courage to serve the community by rooting out the bad guys on their force? Sadly, the hundreds of officers currently surrounding the home of Derek Chauvin while the city burns leads me to believe the answer to that last question is no. Protecting their own is more important than the oath they swore. It's caught on camera for all to see. Injustice in the streets of America. A lynching without a rope. Power and corruption stripped bare in all their unholy glory. I've heard some say that he shouldn't have broken the law. Since when did using a counterfeit $20 bill become a crime punishable by death without trial? We don't even know that he realized that he had a counterfeit, he was buying food. I've heard some say that he must have been resisting arrest to end up on the ground like that. Security footage has since been released that shows he never resisted arrest. He never fought the police. He stumbled and fell and the officers came down on top of him. As the video goes on, seven minutes starts to feel like an eternity. I can't imagine what George Floyd was going through in those last moments of his life. What I can see is that he grew more quiet. He grew more still. He eventually went limp, yet the knee stayed firmly planted in his neck. The onlookers realize they've just witnessed a murder. Their cries ring out in the air, yet the officers show no concern, no remorse, no guilt. For them, this is business as usual. Derek Chauvin was investigated in 2006 over a fatal police shooting, and again in 2008, and again in 2011, for two more shootings. The Asian officer in the video, who can be seen intimidating concerned onlookers, paid $25,000 out of court for punching and kicking a handcuffed man's teeth out in 2017. This is police brutality. This is abuse of power. All of these complaints and use of force violations were dismissed by the same police department that attempted to brush this current tragedy under the rug as a medical incident. Thank God there was a video because that is the only chance the Floyd family has for justice. This is what sin looks like in the souls of men. This is what Jesus came to save us from. Now, I am not saying that all cops are killers. I am not saying that all cops are racist. I am not saying that all white people are racist. Don't put those words in my mouth, please. But what I am saying is that it is our Christian duty to call out injustice, hate, racism, abuse, and corruption in all of its ugly forms. If you think I'm being political, you're mistaken. Issues of justice and injustice are spiritual issues. Here, let me prove it for you. Luke four seventeen. this is talking about Jesus here, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to show us the way. The way that includes preaching to both the poor in spirit and poor in wealth, offering healing to the brokenhearted, proclaiming liberty to those who are held captive either by force or by ideologies and systems, to give sight to both the physically and spiritually blind and to proclaim liberty to the oppressed and those who are held down. Jesus calls us to be a voice to the voiceless and to speak power, speak truth to power. Now, Jesus didn't come up with these ideas in that moment. Remember, he was quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had a few other things to say concerning justice. Isaiah 61.8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. If you have to rob another person of their dignity in order to make yourself look better, the Lord says he hates it. He loves justice, and we should too. Isaiah 59, 14 and 15. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. When there is no justice, the Lord is displeased. When unarmed black men like Ahmad Arbery are gunned down in the road by vigilantes, truth is fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter when men and women stay silent about the sins of Jim Crow laws, segregation, and redlining. When knees are used to snuff the lives of American citizens, righteousness stands afar off. The Lord is displeased. Isaiah one seventeen. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Seeking justice means not only standing for the oppressed and the marginalized, but also rebuking the oppressors, whether they be persons or entities. Another major prophet spoke out against injustice. Jeremiah 22.3 says, Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. The blood of George Floyd cries out from the ground. Judgment must be executed against his killers. Losing their jobs is not justice. They must be prosecuted with no impunity. Jeremiah nine twenty three through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glorifies glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. Says the Lord, let us not glory in our own wisdom or our own might, but instead in our Lord who exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. He is a God who delights in justice, and he is calling us to do the same. Before the major prophets came on the scene, the Israelite people were wandering through the wilderness. They knew what it was like to be enslaved. They saw firsthand what injustice was like. Yet God still needed to remind them. Deuteronomy 16, 20, You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Justice is what we should follow. If the Israelites needed the reminder, how much more do we need it? when it comes to justice, God told them, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. As children of God, we should seek justice in our judgments. This includes no prejudice towards those who may fit into a different tax bracket, have different colored skin, speak a different language, or hold a different level of education. We should not treat the rich or the educated or those who look the same as us differently than we would treat the poor or uneducated or those who look different from us. There are words about justice in the Psalms. Psalm 106.3, blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Justice seekers are blessed. Psalm 140.12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. The afflicted, the oppressed, the marginalized, and the poor are always on the mind of the Lord. They should be on our minds too. The Bible's wisdom literature has much to say about justice. Proverbs twenty-one, fifteen: It is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. If you don't care about justice for your fellow humans, then you are a worker of iniquity headed for destruction. Full stop. Proverbs 24, 24 and 25. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have a delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. If you defend the position of oppressors and abusers, don't be surprised when the world looks at you with contempt. If you praise the actions of Derek Chauvin, how dare you claim the name of Christian and call good what is evil? If you praise the actions of Derek Chauvin, you are serving the enemy. Proverbs 28, 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all if you fail to grasp the severity of injustice as it is played out, you are seeking someone other than the Lord. Proverbs 21.3. One, this one I struggled with. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Are you willing to scream and cry because the church building is closed while you stay silent about injustices? My friends, there is a disconnect there. Your standing for justice is more acceptable to God than your Sabbath morning worship. He'd love to have both, but one, as this verse tells us, is more acceptable. Moving into the minor prophets, Amos 5.24 says, And let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Water is soothing, refreshing, and life-giving, and so is justice. The prophet Micah wrote, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As Christians, we put a lot of requirements on ourselves, but what does God require of us? A humble heart that is willing to extend mercy and fight for justice. The prophet Zechariah wrote, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. The oppression of anyone is injustice and it is evil. We should, as Christians, always stand against it. The prophet Hosea wrote, So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. Now maybe when you read the word wait, you think this verse is speaking of a passive practice. But when it comes to mercy and justice, we are to observe. Observing is an active response. When we observe the Sabbath, we don't just know about it. We don't just sit by and passively watch it. We actively engage in Sabbath rest. And by the way, the Sabbath and justice are intimately connected. That's a whole other verse in itself, though. But if you are curious, go read Isaiah 58. Now, These are not even close to being all the scripture texts that speak on justice, but I'm hoping by now that you get the point. Don't let anyone confuse you. Matters of justice aren't political. They are spiritual. Justice is a foundational pillar of our religion. Our religion comes from God, but our politics come from the world. As James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We have a pure and undefiled religion when we seek to impart justice to those who need it. Now, while politics are of this world, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are bad. The issue comes When we allow our political motivations to overcome our religious ones. Let us stay unspotted in that respect. 1 John 3, 17-18. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, talk is cheap. It's not enough to believe justice is good or to simply give it lip service. It should bleed over into the way that we talk to and about others, how we treat others, act towards others, think about others. Now maybe you are saying, but I feel so hopeless. I feel like my voice isn't being heard. I feel like my actions get nowhere. I hear you and I completely understand. Allow me to remind you of something, though. Jesus offers hope. Jesus offers hope. He simply can't help it. It's what. He does. It's what he's all about. He is a savior that understands our struggles. He knows what it's like to see injustices all around. He knows what it's like to be rejected or ignored or called names or misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be so overcome with the sins of this world that you can do nothing more than collapse on the ground, calling out to the Father. Christ understands. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a parable that I think can bring some comfort to those of you who feel fed up. You are sick of people dying for no reason. You are sick of feeling like all of your passion is for nothing. You are sick of feeling ignored or like all the good you do never amounts to any positive or lasting change. Jesus understands, and he offers this lesson. Luke 18, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. It's important to remember that in Jesus' day, widows were the classic symbol of the most vulnerable and oppressed in their culture. In Middle Eastern society, women do not go to the courts. Men go for them. So the fact that this woman shows up lets us know that she is completely alone. Right? No father, no brother, no cousin or nephew to speak for her. And he would not, this is the judge, for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man... Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Alone and against impossible odds, the widow plays the only card she has, which is her loud and persistent pleading. She persists. She bothers. She agitates. She refuses to stay silent. And then, what happens? The judge gives in. Not because he fears God or has any sort of respect for mankind. He gives in because she refuses to be silent. Basically, he says, she's giving me a headache and I can't put up with this racket any longer. I'm going to give her what she asked for. So please, my dear brothers and sisters, keep making social media posts. Keep sharing viral videos, keep voicing your anger about injustices and keep speaking truth to power. You may feel that you aren't being heard or that you're not making a difference, but you are. Refusing to stay silent is a form of protest. Jesus then continues to break this parable down. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? God hears us crying out about injustice day and night. This is nothing new. From Psalms to Habakkuk. From Isaiah to Revelation. We see verse after verse Of God's people looking at the sin and abuse and shame and pain and sorrow and injustice that is all around them, and they cry out, How long, O Lord, when you feel alone or voiceless or helpless or hopeless, you are not alone. Psalm 13,1 and 2: "How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Habakkuk 1:2: "O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence, and you will not save." Revelation 6.10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We've been crying out against injustice and bigotry and racism and corruption and murder and rape and abuse for generations. Sin has attacked our joy and our love and our patience and our composure and our witness and our character, but we cannot let it win. We cannot let it take our faith. Jesus ends the parable in this way. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The enemy wants us to give up. He wants us to turn against each other. He wants to divide us. He wants us to remain still and silent. He wants us to lose our hope and our love. He wants us to lose our faith, but these are the very things that we cannot afford to lose. These are the weapons of our warfare. When we see injustice, we must be like the widow. We must speak up. We must agitate and bother and repeat until our oppressors become weary of hearing it. And if they never change, if it never gets better in this lifetime, we must continue to hold on to hope And faith, believing that our Father, our God, will not be denied. He will not be defeated. He will not forget about past injustices. The day is coming when this world will melt away with fervent heat. Every injustice will be paid for. Every oppressor will be laid low. Innocent blood cries out from the earth, and our God hears And he avenges speedily on that great and blessed day of the second coming. You serve a Savior who knows your pain and your doubts and your feelings of powerlessness. You serve a Savior who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God came through. The tomb was not forever. The night is darkest just before the dawn. Jesus died and he rose and he did it because your life matters to him. A day is coming when every tear will be wiped away. No more injustice, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more senseless deaths. For now though, the blood of victims cries out. The blood of George Floyd, cries out, but a day is coming when Jesus will say his name, Jesus will say your name, Jesus will say my name, but until that day, we stand together, we stand for justice, we stand in faith. Amen and amen.